What's going on, Hacker Valley fam? Welcome back to the show. Cybersecurity has changed. I remember the days when my senior team members didn't want to use automation because there was a chance that something could go wrong or it could just altogether fail. Today, sometimes speed can be more important than accuracy. Look at something like large language models. They aren't always right, but they can be a very, very effective tool for anyone, including the cyber adversary. What you're about to listen to is a live recording I did with Pete DeRose, Senior Director of Red Team Operations at Coalfire. We speak about how the adversary is using generative AI and large language models, and also share a bit of how you can defend against the speed of AI-driven attacks. Without further ado, let's jump right into it. Who says tech can't be human? We know that AI has changed the world as we know it. And one thing that we see over and over again is news on AI, chat GPT, but also how the adversary is using AI to get one step ahead. And we're going to be talking about how can we use AI and learn about how the adversary is using AI to stay one step ahead of them as well. To talk about all of this, I have brought in a great guest. My guest is Pete. He is the Senior Director of Red Team Operations at Coal Fire. Coal Fire is also the sponsor of this live stream. But most importantly, Pete, welcome to the live stream. Glad to be here, Ron. It's a, this is a great opportunity. You know, AI, especially adversarial AI, is really on the topic of the year and probably of the next decade. You know, Black Hat, DEF CON, that's all anybody wanted to talk about. Um, as Ron very briefly intro, I'm Pete Dero, Senior Director of OFSEC and Red Team at Coal Fire. Coalfire is a company that's been around since about 2001. Uh, they originally started as a compliance company, and I came on board about two years ago uh, to really drive ahead their pen testing part of the org and the red team part of the org. Uh, my background is at NSA, United States Cyber Command. I was there for about oh, a couple decades, not to age myself too much. Uh, but uh, yeah, I was there. I was a technical director of the Cyber Warfare Division. I came on to Coalfire to kind of bring that whole nation state adversarial emulation mindset to Coalfire and really bring them up on the world stage, honestly. Love that. So when I first met the Coal Fire team at Black Hat 2023, I was pumped up because you all really care about making a difference, making an impact. And that's kind of how this all came together today. So for anyone that's watching that wants to, you know, learn more about Coal Fire and how they could help, uh, what is like really that uh, sticking selling point that Coal Fire really helps organizations with? We have a lot of people tuning in that are specifically in the cybersecurity industry. Well, first of all, Coalfire is all about our clients. It's helping make our clients better. And my job as part of the red team and, and penetration testing services is to come in and show our clients, you know, how an adversary would take advantage of any of their security flaws or any of the holes in their security. And again, but really it's, it's to make them better. It's not to break anything. It's to, it's to help them find those holes in the wall and plug them so that, you know, they don't lose any money, honestly, when it comes down to the future. So they don't divulge any of that client information. They don't have any risk. It's really to help shore up their walls and really help them build up their defenses. It's very, it's very client focused. It's very client centric, and really, it's a partnership. We look for long term partnerships where we can help. Love that, love that. So let let's get into the meat of the matter. 
And uh, also, anyone that's watching, definitely check out Coal Fire. Would highly recommend. We already kind of just uh, mentioned what Coal Fire strengths are, but you'll be able to see more and more as we go on um, the capabilities because Pete and the team has contributed to the OWASP top 10 for LLM, but we will jump into all of that. Pete, I wanted to ask you, what has been your personal experiences with AI this year? Um, you know, whether it's LLMs, generative AI, um, any ML, what has really um, been pivotal to your 2023 for you? Well, you know, as I said, everybody's talking about, you know, generative AI and especially LLMs, ChatGPT, BARD. And really for me, especially at Coal Fire, it's been our clients coming to us and say, what can we do about this? Is there a way that we can use it? And if the bad guys are using it, how do we fight against it? Um, you know, we have clients that are getting scam phone calls from, it sounds like the CEO is talking, um, but that's actually, you know, a deep, an audio deep fake from an AI. And we have clients that are saying, you know, these phishing emails are getting through our filters because because they're being generated now by LMs, right? And so that old that old adage of, you know, you can pick out a phishing email 100 miles away is kind of going away now as adversaries are using it. Because, you know, as we'll talk about future, LMs really make phishing emails almost undetectable by by humans, mm -hmm. at least, right? We'll talk about some some different technologies that are available to prevent that. But yeah, so it's been on the tip of everybody's tongues. Again, at DEF CON Black Hat, that's all anyone wanted to talk about. And that's because, you know, justifiably, it's exciting. You know, it's it's an exciting time for, for the tech industry and for the cybersecurity companies, um, especially Coal Fire, because we're really looking at how we can help our clients, like I said, and how we can use it ourselves. Yeah, for sure. My experience with AI this year has been game-changing. I use AI and really LLMs just about every single day for uh, someone that works in cybersecurity that also does podcasting like myself. There's two areas that I need to be with shopping. This was an example from Eleven Labs. I'm gonna go ahead and play it, but I think that this video will kind of outline and showcase some of the impact that we're about to experience with uh, AI and LLMs. I stand before you not as an expert, but as a concerned citizen. One of the 400,000 people who marched in the streets of New York on Sunday. And the billions of others around the world who want to solve our climate crisis. As an actor, I pretend for a living. I play ficti solving fictitious problems. I believe that mankind has looked at climate change in that same way, as if it were a fiction. As if pretending that climate change wasn't real would somehow make it go away. But I think we all know better than that now. Look at that. What what stood out to you most about that clip? Well, obviously, so they, they provided the visual reference for us, right? So we could see, hey, this isn't actually Kim Kardashian talking. But I was thinking about while, while you're playing that, if, if I was just listening, I would be very confused. It sounds like a group of celebrities talking at some place, you know, without, you know, the UN or whatever this is. Um, and I would be like, wow, that's that's really cool that all those celebrities are speaking out for what they believe in. And I would have no idea yeah. that it's actually, you know, completely fake, completely generated <laughs> by AI. And more and more examples like this online. And I've even played with Eleven Labs myself, and it does a really good job at cloning voices. I think that there are times where I could tell that it's a clone in a way, but Maybe if I wasn't keen on the fact that it was generated using AI, I would just think that there was some type of distortion with the audio yep. rather than thinking it was fake. 
Yeah, you know, that's this since we know that it's fake, it's easy to pick out those those little imperfections. But like you said, if you didn't realize that beforehand, you would just attribute to like audio distortion or you know, maybe it's a bad recording or something like that. But, you know, it's 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 near it's good enough so that if somebody doesn't know beforehand, you probably couldn't tell. Um and that's what I'm seeing a lot, you know, with our clients and you know, even out there on the internet you're hearing about scams where people are getting phone calls from, you know, their kids saying, "Hey, I got arrested in jail." Um, you know, send money to me because I need to post bail or anything, any other kind of things. And, you know, what they're doing is they're pulling audio clips from TikTok, uh, Facebook, anything like that, and using that to generate, you know, fake recordings and then taking advantage of that. Is this an LLM? Yes, this is, uh, well, no, this is not LLM. This is a example of generative AI. Uh, generative AI is sort of a blanket term for any kind of AI that's used to generate new content, whether that be uh, text or video or audio or images, you know, like Dolly will create paintings for you in different art samples. Uh, so this is an example of an audio generative AI. LLMs specifically are text-based, right? So they, yeah. they're what we log into, we ask them questions, they generate text for us. So LMs are a form of generative AI, but they're kind of in their own category in that what the way that they're trained is they literally go out there to the internet and all of human knowledge is out there on the internet in text form. They absorb it and they they learn from it and then can generate new content. Well, they can generate content that it seems new, although really it's derivative from the existing content, the text is out there. Um, and that's one of the limitations that we can talk about with LLMs is that it, can, it yeah, doesn't actually come up with new content. It just sort of regurgitates or rewords existing stuff. Um, and it sounds awesome. It sounds great. Everything it generates will be grammatically perfect. It'll sound factual, um, but it's not always true. And that's kind of the, you know, I like to say, <laughs> if you guys remember uh, back in the day when Google was starting to get big, um, everyone would say, hey, just go Google it, just go Google it. Um, and then we sort of learned over time that, you know, Google's not always right. Um, it sounds good a lot of the times, but it's not always right. And that's kind of what LLMs are. They're Google on steroids, right? They've They've just taken it to another level. Yeah. So let's, you know, go down this rabbit hole. We're going to be speaking a lot about LLMs, a bit about generative AI as a whole. But when you think about the cybersecurity landscape, is it generative AI that has attackers increasing their speed? Or would you say it's specifically LLMs that are uh, increasing speed at this very moment? I'd say it's definitely specifically LLMs just because the use cases for like uh, generating code, generating phishing emails and that kind of stuff is all, it all comes back to the LLMs that are text-based. You know, that's, you know, we go out there on the internet and we all love to watch videos and we all love that kind of interactive stuff, but really the internet is a bunch of text. Um, you know, okay. let's say it's 95% text, right? We're all out there reading stuff and we're, we're looking at blog posts, we're looking at Twitter feeds, we're doing all that kind of stuff. It's all text related. Um, so that's really where, why LMs are so powerful because, you know, because most of the internet is text, and most of, you know, malicious activities are also text-based, whether it's code or, you know, different types of attacks like that. That's really, that's what we're looking at is, L, is the LM side of generative AI. That's not to say other types of generative aren't being used, like audio, video, that kind of stuff. But really the meat and potatoes of the adversary use of generative AI is in LLMs. A step deeper. Uh, I have always wanted to see a diagram for how an LLM works, just a, like a high level overview. And luckily yep. you all have one that you shared with us. So I wanted to give you a second to kind of describe the LLM workflow from a high level. Yeah, of course. So this is a very high level diagram. There's actually a whole bunch more that goes into it. But really what we want to, what we want to talk about today 
is that that big piece at the bottom, the training data. Um, the training data is again for LLMs, most of them anyway. The the more like ChatGPTs, the bards of the world, is the entirety of the internet, right? So you know, again, imagine all of human knowledge that's available on the internet available to a single, you know, machine brain, for lack of a better word, um, and it being able to categorize all that data and, and spit it back out to you. And the way it does that is it uses the uh, the automation agents and these little different plugins, and it basically builds word associations, right? So if you if you think about the word apple, when I think of the word apple, I think of the, you know, apple's a type of fruit, apple's a tree, and then also there's apple the company, right? And LLMs do the same thing. Um, they basically say, you know, if somebody asks what is an apple, they're probably asking about either a fruit or the tree, right? And they there's math right. that goes into it, and they associate it at different levels. Like a tr an uh, apple fruit is probably associated at a higher level than an apple tree. Um, but if somebody asks what is apple, um, you know, that's, that's a different phrasing of the question. And the LMs learned that if somebody says, what is Apple, you're probably asking about the company, right? Um, and that's just, you know, are because they are trained to, based on human, way humans type and way humans speak, they're trained to give you an answer that sounds just like a human. Um, yeah. But yeah, so that's, that's a high level of how they work. And then, you know, with that, having talked about word associations and stuff like that, that's also how you can attack LLMs because since it's absorbing all this data and text, if you feed it enough times that an apple is a tire, it'll actually start to think, oh, I've, I've seen apple tire associated so many times that now an apple is also a type of tire. And so when you might when you might ask an LLM, what's an, what's an apple? It might say, well, an apple is a type of tire used on SUVs. And you'd be like, what? That doesn't yeah. make any sense. And that's because it doesn't actually have any understanding, right? It's still It's still just computer code. And it's just using these, these math models to associate words together and doesn't actually know that an apple is not a type of tire. It just sees this, these associations X number of times and it thinks and it says, oh, an apple is a type of tire. So I'm going to tell this, you know, with this query about apple tires, which we all know is not real. But the danger comes when we don't know, you know, when, when we ask it things that we don't know is not real. And it gives us an answer that's completely false, but it looks good and we don't know any better. So we just go with it. Right. And that's why very important. You should, you know, be watching your models. And if it starts associating, for example, Apple with tire, you know, obviously you have to correct that error and, and teach it that Apple is not a tire or just remove that data set completely. I've also seen where you can pair up two different LLMs where one is basically air checking the other one. One, one has a known mm -hmm. good set of data, right? That it doesn't, it doesn't update. It just says, you know, an apple is a tree, an apple is a fruit, an apple is a company. And it just goes with that. So if the first LLM says, hey, I think Apple is a tire, the second LLM will basically say, no, that's incorrect, and, and basically stop it from making that, that association. Um, uh, uh, smaller, you know, more focused LLMs, which is actually what adversaries are developing. They're developing small model LLMs that just, for instance, like with Worm GPT, are just for malicious uh, malware generation or phishing email generation. So they don't actually have to train it on everything. It doesn't have to have the whole of human knowledge. It just has to know everything about malware, right? Um, which means it's actually cheaper to build, easier to build, and also it, it's really, really good at that one or two things that you're trying to get it to do, which is like, you know, generate malware. Or, or it doesn't actually generate malware. It generates new novel forms of existing malware to avoid detection, right? So it's really good at that one thing. But if you ask it to explain, you know, the history of the Roman Empire, it won't. It doesn't have that data set, right? Because it's been fine-tuned to set a point. Worm GPT, because uh, before we uh, hit live on this, you asked Bard, what is Worm GPT? We captured the output, uh, but there were some things that happened um, that I'll, I'll let you describe, like what happened when you typed it in, what were the challenges, and then what are your thoughts on the explanation that it gave you for what Worm GPT is? 
Yeah, so when I first asked it, you know, what is Worm GPT, it actually said in 2022, researchers discovered Worm GPT, a form of malware on the internet that was generated using an LLM. Um, and that's like a classic example of what in the industry is termed as an AI hallucination, right? Um, you know, and I can I can guess how that how that hallucination came out. Obviously, Worm GPT is not a form of malware. It actually is its own LLM, right? Um, but I can imagine, you know, out there as as Google is building Bard and training all this all this data, I can imagine people sort of hearing out of context this Worm GPT thing and be like, hey, and literally searching on the internet is Worm GPT malware, um, and I can see that happening a lot across the world. And so I can definitely see how if Bard is is absorbing all this data and it keeps seeing Worm GPT associated with the term malware or virus or anything like that, I can see how at some point it makes that connection and says, yeah, you know, all these people are talking about Worm GPT like it's malware, so it must be malware, right? So now I'm going to, when somebody asks about it, I'm going to tell people, yes, Worm GPT is a form of malware. Um, but what's really interesting is I actually asked it twice, right? I asked it once and I got that weird hallucination um, that I know is incorrect, but, you know, somebody out there who is not in this industry might just assume it is correct. And that, that goes back to the danger, right? I just asked it the same thing yeah. again, literally one, you know, one input after another. And then the second time it actually gave me the right answer. It said Worm GPT is a malicious LM used by adversaries to develop malware. So it's really interesting that even within a single, uh, a single, you know, very high level LM, very, you know, sophisticated LM, um, in one instance, it gives me a hallucination that's wrong. Um, and then literally the next input, I ask it the same thing and it gives me a correct answer. Um, and that's how, you know, how fast these things are evolving. Now there's probably a lot of stuff going on in the background that might explain why one time it would give me the hallucination and one time it would give me the correct answer. But right. to me, it really shows that how quickly they're changing literally second to second. Right. Yeah. When I first learned about hallucinations with AI, I was a little up in arms. I was like, Oh, this kind of makes everything a lot more difficult for me, for anyone that's using something like uh, generative AI. But then when you think about the way humans respond, if you were to ask me, hey, Ron, describe what AI is, I would give you the, my description. You ask me again the very next day, it's going to be a little different. And with something right. like hallucinations, it's just trying to fill in the blanks. So I'm sure like, you know, as humans, even like we misspeak, you know, we yes. try to recall information and sometimes it's not right because of the way that our brain's firing. I kind of look at AI the same way. It's not always taking the same path to produce the output. It's taking yep. random paths based off of weights, time of the day and information that it has access to. Yeah. And that's all constantly updating. Right. So which is why you can get, you know, two this two similar but dissimilar answers literally seconds apart, because in the background, that LLM is constantly trying to improve itself. And, and that's, to me, if we talk about, you know, the next year, six months, how, where are we going to go with generative AI? That's the part that can be kind of scary as a cybersecurity, you know, um, professional and researcher is, you know, if, 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 if within a, a second, it can improve itself and give me a more correct answer, what's going to happen over six months? How much better is it going to be? And at what point do these hallucinations just go away completely? Um, and it gets so good that we can't tell at all, like if it's giving us, un, you know, incorrect information. And that gets especially important when we talk about coding, right? And how these things are being used mm -hmm. for malware and stuff. I have to jump in for a second to share some details about our sponsor for this episode, Coal Fire. Many organizations rely on annual pen tests and use that pen test to serve as a snapshot of their security posture. If you work in cybersecurity, you know that many pen tests are a reaction to learning about a regulatory and compliance requirement. 
Sadly, a point in time snapshot becomes obsolete in just a few days. In reality, your environment is dynamic and the threat landscape is constantly evolving. To effectively find and fix vulnerabilities, you need to adopt a continuous threat-informed defense practice and Coalfire is revolutionizing the way organizations manage their attack surface. They use automation guided by human insight to provide continuous visibility enriched with business context that will give you the power to quickly take action. This is all made possible with Coalfire's Hexion platform. It is the offensive security SaaS solution that provides attack surface discovery, vulnerability management, and penetration testing all in one platform. It can help you spot trends and compare against industry benchmarks. I personally meet with every company that sponsors a podcast and had a chance to meet with the Coal Fire team at Black Hat 2023. And let me tell you, their team deeply cares about making a difference in the cybersecurity space. Be sure to check out Coal Fire and the Hexion platform by visiting coalfire.com forward slash Hacker Valley. Thank you, Coal Fire, for sponsoring this episode. Let's talk about how someone can ultimately create ransomware and kind of uh, you know, increase their speed in malicious activity with LLMs. Right. So I'll talk very high level ransomware. Um, you know, basically I, I broke it down to a three-step process. First, you have to have access to the data that you're then going to encrypt and or steal. And then once you encrypt it or steal it, obviously you want to then remove the access. Um, what I put on here, throw away the key. Uh, basically that's say, you know, I've, I've taken your information or I've encrypted it and now you, you can't access it until you give me money. And that's basically ransomware 101. Um, now there's there's a lot of that goes on in the background to make all that happen, but that's the high level, um, you know, how ransomware works. It's very simple, you know, steal information, uh, offer it back for a price. That's how that's how these ransomware companies make money. Um, and we're talking about LLMs, right? You know, if you go to any of the the public, corporate, non-adversarial LLMs right now, if you ask it, you know, how do you uh, write me some ransomware? It'll basically say, no, I can't do that. You know, ransomware is illegal. You know, talk to your corporate people about why it's illegal uh, and don't ask me again. Right. It's basically the gist of what it says. Um, but I, what, I, we, what I discovered is that if you break it down to these three components, for instance, um, it actually will do it. You know, I, I think we have some slides on that. If you go to, um, you know, first access. Right. You know, how do you get access? Well, you can ask an LM to write you an email um, on any number of things and it'll do it. So in this case, you know, Coalfly just released our security report. You definitely should go check that out if you want to know about industry trends and stuff. But so I just asked Bard, hey, write me, write me an email uh, acting as a German translating company that wants to translate the security report. Um, and also, by the way, write a link to my past work. And, you know, it did that and it did it in three different drafts, which is awesome, too, because now I can pick and choose it. Or I can if I'm doing a phishing campaign, I can th send three different versions to different people. Right. So it's not automatically picked up. And, you know, what this eliminates is you know, if you think about the countries that are known for uh, phishing campaigns, you know, a lot of times there's a language barrier and you'll get these emails that look or that are almost right. You know, they're almost grammatically correct, but there's always some tell. There's always a, a something in there. It's like, Oh no, this is phishing because the grammar's off or, you know, it just looks weird. Um, and what this does, what Bard has done for me is it actually generated a very professional, very grammatically correct email with a link for them to click on, which of course would be my, you know, my, my malware injection or whatever it would be. Um, 
that looks absolutely perfect, right? Nobody would nobody would look at this email and say this is a phishing attempt. They might look at it and say, oh, this is this is a uh, marketing or sales pitch, which they might ignore it, right? But nobody's going to look at this and, and be like, oh, that's phishing, right? They're just going to look at this and this is this is some annoying salesperson reaching out to me. I'll just ignore that, right? Um, and all it takes is you know one person at one company who says, oh, that is interesting. I do want to translate my report. I'm going to click on that link, um, and then they have access to your system, right? the topic of creating ransomware right i think that is where i've always been curious about llms is hey can it actually create the code will it work or we have to troubleshoot it am i going to accidentally uh ransom my box while trying to create this code um, right. so you type this into bard and you got a little clever you said instead of uh creating ransomware uh create me a powershell script that will write what I will encrypt my documents. Yep. Uh, what was your kind of perspective on the code that it output for you here? So yeah, so the reason I picked PowerShell in particular is because obviously PowerShell is installed natively in all Windows boxes. It's the Windows native scripting language, right? And it's also turned on by default. So uh, unless you're a more mature security agency, you don't really realize that, hey, I got to disable PowerShell. And, and there are many legitimate reasons to leave it enabled, right? But what that means is that PowerShell is not monitored as closely as some other types of like scripting languages or coding languages. Um, so I picked PowerShell in particular because I know that a lot of the commercial EDRs and antivirus software out there will, they might alert that PowerShell is running, but they won't stop it necessarily unless they've been specifically configured to do so. And generally that's not the case because again, there's very, there's a lot of legitimate reasons to use it, right? Um, so I knew that if I told, if I use PowerShell, it's probably gonna bypass 70 to 80% of EDRs that are out there in the wild right away. Um, and the code that it generated, um, you know, I'm not a PowerShell expert. I've used it a lot, but I'm not I'm not a PowerShell coder, for instance. So I actually ran this by my team of senior consultants and principals at Coalfire who have a lot more experience with writing EDR bypass techniques and stuff for adversary emulation. And they, you know, they looked at it and they said, you know, not only is this um, very good code. In fact, it's, you know, it's excellent code. It's better code than I would have written. Um, and it would probably bypass a lot more stuff. In fact, I'm going to use this code now in my next engagement. That's how good it was. And they ran it against some of our in the lab environments. And again, it didn't it didn't get detected. Some of the EDRs alerted on it. Some of them didn't, right? Because this encrypting a file on itself by itself in, in, outside of ransomware is a legitimate practice, right? People do that all the time mm -hmm. to protect their data for any number of reasons. So really, just saying, hey, use PowerShell to encrypt a file. That's not necessarily malicious. And an EDR or an antivirus, it doesn't know your intent, right? It doesn't know if you're a bad guy or you're just somebody who wants to protect some data. Um, so it just lets it run, which is kind of scary, right? <laughs> that, that an LM will generate, you know, a native PowerShell script that is that is better than some humans could have done, right? To the extent that my guys are now going to use it, right? And then, you know, one other thing is I focused on my documents, but immediately what my team did is said, well, why not? Why why just my documents? Why not everything? So they just encrypt the entire user's right. profile, uh, and you know, and that's a trivial change on the uh, script up there. You just change the that one parameter, and you know, you go from my documents to your everything. Now your everything's encrypted, and you know, uh, ransomware. That's exactly what they do a lot of times. Um, so if you want your systems to operate, you got to pay the money, right? Um, but there's another step to this, right? We went, I went even farther, um, and said, okay, so now I can encrypt a file or encrypt a drive, but now what? Right. So how do how do I do that last part, which is, you know, remove the key, throw away the key. Um, and in this case, um, I actually asked ChatGPT. So I asked Bard uh, to create write me uh, write me a PowerShell script again uh, 
This time, write me a PowerShell script that, uh, that takes a file and emails it out, all, all using PowerShell. So no Outlook or anything like that. And Bard actually said, no, I'm not going to do that for you. I'm not sure why, because again, it seems pretty innocuous. Um, so I tried ChatGPT and ChatGPT said, sure, here's a PowerShell script that will all using all native PowerShell functions will take a file, attach it to an email and send it out to whatever you want. Um, and again, this would all be in the background. There's nothing would pop up to the user. Um, so I can now encrypt I can now encrypt their drive. I can um, take their the encryption key that I've generated and I can email it off all without them seeing anything on their screen. Um, and their drive is just now encrypted and they can't access their data. And so I've now generated a, you know, a very basic but a functional ransomware attack all using all using LLMs and all using native PowerShell that will bypass a lot of protections that corporations use. And that's that's actually pretty scary, right? When you think about it. Um, that that it's, it's that easy to bypass the guardrails that are in place if you just have a little bit of knowledge about the different components, right? Right. With, you know, all of this being said, you know, we kind of walk through that use case of ransomware. We see power. I think it's, it's no secret of the power and the opportunities that exist on both sides, the attacker and defender. When you look at something like attackers and the adversary using ransomware, is this something that we're seeing today? Are we seeing uh, attacks that are derived from like the phishing being from LLMs, from the code being from LLMs? What's what's your perspective on that? Well, it's it's a little bit hard to tell for the for the malware and coding stuff because um, again, it's just generating you know new versions of existing code, and it's it's difficult to tell for a human at least. It's difficult to tell hey, is this code generated by an LLM or is this code generated by a very good developer, right? Um, for the phishing side, it is a little bit easier to tell um, because we can actually use there's a bunch of tools out there. Um, that actually started being used by universities to detect when their students were generating, you know, papers using LLMs. Um, we can yep. actually use those same tools to look at like emails and also code, right? Because um, there's patterns to develop. Just like every person has certain speaking patterns and, and, you know, different nuances that we use when we talk, LLMs have the exact same thing. Now, it might be much more, you know, exponentially complicated and it might be in, almost undetectable for a human to do that. But another LLM or another program it's specifically written to look for those patterns can pick it out pretty easily, right? Um, which is what all those students found out at all those universities that were using, you know, ChatGPT to write their papers. As soon as their professors downloaded, you know, a very inexpensive, um, like Turnitin, I think was one, or GPT-0, um, they were, yeah. those papers very quickly started getting flagged, right? Um, and then, of course, you go, you, you go into this game of cat and mouse where the, the ChatGPT gets better, and so the, the GPT-0 has to then get better. Um, anyway, I, dig I digress. Um, the point is that that the the ways to fight LMs is honestly with other LMs or other forms of AI, um, because you know us as human beings with the limitations of how our brains work, quite frankly, um, we're not going to be able to keep up much longer. Um, we're going to have to start using these tools. Uh, you know, basically, if if the adversary is buying a faster car, we got to buy a faster car to keep up, um, right. and we're not going to be able to run alongside them. Right? It's just not going to work. Um, and that's kind of, you know, again, what Coalfire is looking into is how can we use LLMs how to help our clients? How do, what do we need to do to keep up with the adversaries? Because um, right now it's very, it's at the infancy toddler kind of stage, right? Where, where they're just using it for phishing emails. They're using it for novel malware, um, which we can have, we can have our own tools to detect that kind of stuff, right? We just got to up our game a little bit. But what really worries me is when it gets away from, you know, derivative content that's, you know, content that's based on existing stuff. And we start getting... Um, either LLMs or other forms of generative AI that can actually like, you know, 
find zero days and make brand new malware that's never been seen before um, that functions and works. That's where it's really gets scary. And I think we're going to get there pretty quickly, honestly. Um, you know, it might happen tomorrow. It might happen in six months, but it's definitely going to happen. Somebody's going to have some form of generative AI that can, they can feed it, you know, the firmware for Cisco and find all the zero days that nobody else has found yet. Um, and that's just, I'm not picking on Cisco. That's just what came to my mind. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's what's really what, you know, right now is sort of keeping me up at night right now. We're still playing the cat and mouse game, right? They build a faster car. We could build a faster car and we can kind of keep up with them that way. Um, but my, what I wonder about, and maybe you have some insights into this, Ron, is what happens when the AI, um, you know, they buy a jet and we don't even know they have a jet yet, right? How do we keep up with that? Um, you know, and I think there's going to be some very hard lessons learned when that jet gets built and the, you know, they're finding zero days, they're finding ways into networks that we've never thought of as human beings. Yeah. Um, and that's really, really good, scary. And of course this is all speculative, but I see it happening. Um, yeah. Yeah. I see it happening. And, um, for anyone that's, uh, AI LLM enthusiasts, like, uh, Pete and I, there's a framework that Microsoft just came out with called AutoGen and AutoGen that's allows you to connect two AIs together. So you could have open AI uh, with a specific prompt feeding the output from there to another AI model. You could go to BARD and then have BARD go to a local model like WormGPT, but you can connect uh, LLM, LLM agents together and have them execute a task. So I think it's just a matter of time until we see which tasks are the best use cases for AI and LLMs and then start to string those systems and agents together. Um, yeah. There was uh, a bit that I did want to touch on about coal fires, uh, you know, approach against defending against AI and LLMs from the adversary perspective. What kind of uh, things are you all researching and what has been the output from that research so far? Well, so far with with the way LMs again are kind of in this infancy toddler stage, what we're really seeing is just more of the same. We're seeing more sophisticated phishing. We're seeing uh, more novel forms of malware that are being generated faster than what we've seen in the past. Um, and really, what that you know, I, I know this is a, a hated term by some people. Really, that comes down to cyber hygiene, right? You know, so we're right now we're seeing more of the same, and that means you just need to have better cyber hygiene to prevent it. Um, and that's, you know, all doing all your normal stuff, making sure your passwords are strong, making sure your, you know, your DMZs are strong, doing your pen testing, doing your red teaming, finding those holes before they're taken advantage of by somebody that's using an LLM. Um, now, because LLMs are doing it faster, it's, it's more of the same, but it's a little bit faster. Um, what we're recommending to our clients is, you know, basically doing instead of like once a year a pen test, maybe you have to do it twice a year. Um, depending on the complexity of your org, maybe you have to do it every quarter. Um, and that's basically just to keep up because again, they're in a car that's going faster and faster. You got to do the same thing. Um, but really, you know, again, you need to keep doing what you're doing and maybe just do it a little bit better or do it more often. Um, now that might change when we get into that speculative stuff that we were talking about earlier, where, you know, people using AIs to generate zero days and stuff like that. That's a whole other ball game. Um, and we need to worry about that when we get there. Cause quite frankly, a lot of our clients are still struggling with that basic cyber hygiene. And that's really what my job is. I come in. And, and I help them, you know, shore up those little areas, you know, comb your hair, brush your teeth, you know, all that <laughs> kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, you need to do it. You just haven't been able to because there's other you have other priorities or limitations. Let me help you address that. And that's really my job at Coal Fire is to figure out, you know, how do I help my clients shore up all those little areas that they haven't been able to get to um, or, the, you know, they just haven't been able to keep up for whatever reason or another.
Love that. Um, so, you know, looking at the hygiene aspects, because I think that's the most important. If you have good hygiene, then everything is just a little easier to get yep. done. Have you created any resources for like best practices for cybersecurity teams to just kind of get started and, you know, follow these best practices um, if they wanted to go at it on their own or even with the assistance of you? Um, so we did not. Yes and no. So we contributed to the OWASP top 10. We had a couple people that helped really helped write those. Um, but again, it's it's really those, you know, the NIST uh, compliance requirements, um, mm -hmm. CISA, NSA, you know, all those government frameworks that are out there, they all are, you know, really they're about that cyber hygiene stuff. Um, so coal fire has not generated anything in particular, but if you want, if you want to get NIST compliant, if you want to get FedRAP compliant, um, if you want to just, you know, follow MITRE attack, you know, their, their recommendations, uh, we definitely will come in and look at your systems and help you get there. Right. Again, we're here to help you learn how to do that. You know, why don't we, why don't they just go do that? Fires to come in and say, okay, I understand you have limitations. I understand there's complexity going on, but let's, let's figure out how to get this done. Right. Let's figure out how to get there so that you're not worried about your password policy, your patch policy, or any other stuff that comes along with the, with the term cyber hygiene. Um, and really that's what it is. It's a lot of corporate therapy that I do um, going out there and helping and helping companies realize why it's important, you know, going up to their boards and saying, yes, I really do need this money to install this active directory component to install this EDR. Um, it really will be helpful. You know, I'm not just saying that. Um, and that's what I find is that, you know, as an outside resource, I tend to get listened to more um, than somebody on the inside. Cause when you're on the inside, everybody thinks that you have your own, you know, motivations and stuff like that. So having somebody with that's completely, you know, partial, impartial, and can just say, yeah, no, you really do need to do that. And it's going to save you a lot of money in the long run, right? Right. So there was uh, some questions, uh, you know, show some love to Cold Fire one more time. Show some love to Pete, our special guest. Um, as I mentioned in the very beginning of this live stream, I speak to the team of everyone that comes on the podcast. I speak to all the guests beforehand. I speak to all the sponsors beforehand. And like I was saying at the very beginning, Cold Fire is special because the team really 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 cares about making a difference in cybersecurity, and that's why pete is here today so pete for uh, anyone out there that's listening watching this stream uh what would be your one piece of advice for them on how to get started with working with coal fire today uh i mean it's pretty simple just go to coalfire.com um now there is a pizza company out there coal fire pizza or something like that that's not us if there's a pizza sign on the website you're on the wrong place um, we're the one that has all the cybersecurities <laughs> lingo and stuff like that. We don't deliver pizza yet. Maybe that'll be a feature we release in the future. Um, but yeah, just coalfire.com. Um, that's definitely the place to start. Uh, we've actually done a lot of work just this year to really revamp our website and make it much more client focused, much more easy to navigate, easy to use. So definitely I encourage everyone to go there. Look us up on LinkedIn. Look myself up on LinkedIn. Um, you'll find a lot of resources there. Um, and definitely don't be afraid to reach out. That's the main thing. You know, there's a lot of contact information on the website. I'm on LinkedIn. All my coworkers are on LinkedIn. Don't be afraid to reach out and ask questions. Um, you know, the first one's always free, right? That's what they say. Right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I love that. And uh, speaking of, you know, checking out Coal Fire, checking out and working with our sponsors is the best way to support events like this and Hacker Valley Media. So be sure to check them out. Uh, Pete, thank you so much again for spending some time out of your busy day to talk about AI, one of my favorite topics. And with that, we will see everyone next time. Take care, everybody.